Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Well, Superman's had quite a week. Superman is making all kinds of news. Uh, Superman, uh, Super Sun, Super Saver. There's a lot of super things happening, and uh, a lot of folks are all worked up yeah. over some changes in the world's of super men, super women, super girls. Wasn't yeah. there a super dog at one point? I yes, there, that's a restaurant. But I, there is just uh, a reason to be outraged about everything. And Superman has found his way into that particular yes. space of humanity at the moment. We'll talk about that. Plus, what to watch and what not to watch this upcoming weekend. In the meantime, let me tell you this. That the Roan Roper Podcast Screen Time is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing that drives your business's success. Because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit them at AmericanEagle.com today. What's up with Superman? Well, you know, of course, Superman has been a part of the American fabric and the global populace for, what, 70-some years now. Started with the comics and continued on through radio and TV and movies, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody feels like they have ownership of Superman. So DC Comics has announced uh, in, in one of their issues, and Ro, I, I got a confession for you. I have not read all of the Superman comics that have come out through the years, you know, because <laughs> okay. so, that would be, I don't know, uh, 27,000 or something like that. Right. But um, Jonathan Kent, who is the son of Clark Kent slash Superman, okay. is bisexual. That was the big announcement that Jonathan Kent, so not Superman himself, but Superman's son. Now, now Superman is not yeah. Superboy, because wasn't there a Superboy at some point? Uh, you know, yeah, and then we go back to the teenage Superman. Yeah. For what I'm understanding here, this is Superman's son. Okay. Uh, you know, and I don't know, I am sorry, but I'm not sorry because I'm not going to read all these comic books. And if people love comic books, good for you. Okay. Um, but it's his son in the comics is bisexual. This is not the first time, whether it was Robin or Catwoman or Batgirl, that there have been some sort of, you know, different gender orientation or whatever, if you will. But it really got a lot of people worked up. The idea that Superman's son... Jonathan Kent is bisexual. Okay, but this is in the comic book world, which is a very different world yes. than the cinematic world for Superman or the other superheroes because, you know, those are $100 million productions, yeah. right? And and they make a billion dollars at the box office. So, so this is a different thing. This is that source material that has been around in many different iterations yeah. and under different ownership. And DC Comics yes. specifically, like Marvel, went through some ownership changes. And then, of course, Marvel turned itself into this amazing conglomerate of artists and producers and money, right, and banks that, that built yeah. it into what it is. DC has not had quite the same run. They've had a kind of uneven run with the with the Justice League, with the DC Extended Universe. Wonder Woman, I think, has been their most successful uh, effort. They keep trying to do redo Superman. We've had a bunch of different Supermen, you mm -hmm. know, have come uh, down the pike. Uh, yes, so, you know, again, to that, Ro, you know, the Marvel comics, for example, um, you know, Iron Man has become a much bigger deal in the movies, obviously, thanks a lot uh, you know, to Robert Downey Jr.'s amazing performances, which should have been nominated at least one or two times for Oscars. And spoiler alert, he died.
died in the last oh, uh, God. Marvel. But that doesn't mean they, they don't bring back Iron Man because you have someone else be Iron Man or you do prequels or whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and Venom, which has become a big franchise. And that's one of those where even the comic book aficionados are like, oh, okay, Venom. Yeah, I remember that. So it is a completely different world. But what I love about this is that people get so worked up. And one of my favorite moments was um, Fox News. They like to go to Dean Cain. Uh, now, he was in, what was it, Lois and Clark. That was yes, the one where right, he was TV Superman. Yeah. And Terry Hatcher was Lois. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked great. I mean, and Dean yeah. Cain was a former uh, football player. So he has the, you know, the, he had the build and the look to kind of play Superman. Uh, he's a conservative. And, you know, I've said this all along. Hollywood, we got to listen to all those damn liberals. We might as well <laughs> listen to all those damn conservatives. I've got no problem with that. Right. But but you got to listen to this, row. This Here's Dean Cain. Talking about uh, Superman and Superman's son and the issues that they should be taking on in the comics. Now, uh, you know, part of it is like, well, you know, I want to see a storyline about government overreach, Dean Cain said. Well, that, that would have people on the edge of their seats flipping through their comic books. Ooh, government overreach. So he's got his own agenda. But, Ro, what really cracks me up about this is they bring on Dean Cain who is yeah. one of 25 actors who has voiced or played Superman, whether it's on radio, TV, the movies, animated series. And he didn't come to a bad end, because wasn't that always the theory that anybody who played Superman was going to have the, some sort the, of tragedy? George Reeves and all that kind right. of stuff. Just Ben Affleck and you know whatever's happening with him. Although he was Batman, but then he <laughs> played George Reeves in the movie about right. the death of the actor who played him in the, in the 50s serial. Mm-hmm. But to me, it just... it's. Dean Cain commenting on the legacy of Superman is kind of like if you were going to do something about, let's say NASA decided they were going to change their whole approach to space travel, maybe rename it, and they say, joining us now is Ryan Gosling because he played (laughs) Neil Armstrong. (laughs) Ryan, what do you think about this for your legacy? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I suppose that is one way of looking at it. Uh, but, you know, Dean Cain, at least I got somebody who's close to the mark in finding the guy who plays I don't Superman. Think he speaks for Superman. No. Is what I'm saying. Well, but he speaks for himself as Superman. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose that this is that crossover of entertainment, reality, and politics where everything smashes together. And I think what we've seen in a lot of. Uh, you know, pop art like comic books mm-hmm. is that this whole intent to drive narratives and, you know, do something outrageous to get attention, yeah. right? No one was going to go out and buy the new Superman comic except for those the hardcore fans, you know, yeah. yeah. 50,000, 75,000 people who right. really care about that stuff. Now, everyone's going to have to go buy That's, yeah. That thing's going to sell a million copies because everybody's going to have an agenda that they either love or hate, and it just the passion drives the sales. Yeah, I remember this has got to be 30 years ago. There was a big controversy because they killed Superman right. in the comics, and yes. there was a famous graphic of the you know the gravestone you know here lies superman 1952 to 1993 whatever the hell it was and everyone's like oh my god they killed superman and well no they didn't i mean you know in some universe they did i guess i don't they really remember him in a movie, but, didn't they and all of a sudden his finger twitched or yeah, something? Uh, yeah you know uh, henry cavill and then yeah. all of a sudden he came back yeah. you know and even that i thought you know they listen the justice league couldn't go on i guess without superman but i, I gave them a lot of credit for 
killing off Superman, which we thought. But then even at the end of the movie, yeah, you saw the little dust and the little, you know. The, and then he came back and he was sort of like a zombie. He was all messed up. Yeah. He didn't recognize uh, it was half a Lois Superman. Lane. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was the zombie Superman is what it came down to. And he was freaking out like Aquaman, who has really, you know, no powers when he's above ground other than he's, you know, Jason Momoa. But I digress. Uh, you know, t- you're absolutely right. People got all worked up about this that normally wouldn't. And it does give a chance. It's the same thing as, you know, the so-called war on Christmas every year. You know, yeah. you get one example of some greeter at a store who says, happy holidays. And the next thing you know, you know, Tucker Carlson's on the ground in the studio throwing a temper <laughs> tantrum saying they're taking away our Christmas. This gives a chance. I guarantee you, you know, politicians will stand up. Whatever happened to the, you know, the great American family values of the Kents. And, you know, you always want to point out, you know, this Jonathan Kent is probably one of those dreamers because Superman ain't from here. Right. Not an American. I mean, did he ever fill out papers? We don't know. I don't remember that storyline. But that is our segue to part two of the Superman controversy, row. Yeah. Because Superman, the official motto, people always know about truth, justice, and the American way. Now they've announced in a new mission statement that Superman's motto will be truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Not truth, justice, and the American way. What do you think of that? Okay. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I never really fully understood when the black and white television show from the 1950s into the 60s mm-hmm. was on, and that was... You know, like the the only Superman that we had as little kids was, right. as you mentioned, the George Reeves version of it. When he would stand there at the end, you know, next to a waving American flag, truth, justice, and the American way, I, I never fully understood how that applied to other than the United States, right? right? It was, and I understood also the context of it. My dad was a World War II veteran, and mm-hmm. so I understood the context of you know, Superman fighting, and I know in the comics, Superman fought the Nazis, right, in some of right. the early comic book versions of it. So I thought it was sort of a sop to that whole, you know, greatest generation, post-World War II moment in America, which is, hey, we saved the world, and we can make the world a better place by exporting democracies and making people believe in self-governance. You have hit on exactly what happened. I didn't know this until I was reading up on this row, but Justice in the American Way mission statement did originate with the original comic books going back 80 years. It started on the Superman radio serial in the 1940s during the war to encourage and cheer on American military efforts. The radio serial was the first to say truth, justice in the American way, just as you were saying, and then it was revived for the TV series and the Cold War and, and you know, the whole uh, height of McCarthyism and all of that. So that's why it was truth, justice, and the American way. That hasn't always been a part of the comic books. In fact, most of the time it has not. But again, people are all worked up. Like the Pledge of Allegiance under God part, right? Yes, that, which that, they added. Yeah. That, that was added, yeah. Uh, okay, all right. So people got all worked up back in the 1950s. They made all these changes, American way, under God, all of that. And now (laughs) Superman's kid is bisexual. And the same people who were getting worked up back 75 years ago are getting worked up again today. right? Right. And so the whole thing is to get worked up over art. You can decide. It's the way I've always looked at this. Superman is not real. I wish Superman were real, but he's not. 
And if Superman were real, eventually he'd have all the power that would somehow corrupt him in some sort of a way. And we'd really be in a lot of trouble because he's got, unless we found some people with kryptonite, that would be our <laughs> only hope. The, it's art. You can choose to consume it or you can wildly and passionately ignore it. Absolutely. That is your choice. This has nothing to do with, uh, well, I'm not going to throw out all my Superman stuff because it's it's ruined the legacy for me. It hasn't. This is just one artist, and this is one iteration. This is not the right. originator of the Superman series who's come up with this. It's going to change over time. The movies change over time. James Bond is changing over time. It all changes over time. Exactly. So either you like it or you don't, and that's just fine. But it, it really, with all the things that are happening in the world, and there are a lot of things that are happening in the United States of America right now that are just messed up as a result of the pandemic and all the things that we have to think about, we're going to fight each other over whether Superman's kid likes to kiss other boys? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Because it is something that, you know, people can grab onto, as you mentioned. Too. And like, as you said, all these people, most of the people expressing outrage, they're, they're not, they didn't learn by picking up the latest issue of Superman and reading it. It gives them an easy chance to get so worked up about it. It was funny. There was one uh, conservative politician who, when this broke, tweeted out, and this was the exact quote, um, Clark Kent is in love with Lewis Lane because he did a typo. And that's the end of that. And it was like, well, first of all, this isn't about Clark and Lois, but it was fantastic. And everyone was like, oh, that's cool. You know, there's a there's a Clark Lewis love affair. Hey, now. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I, I hate to sound ignorant about yeah. this, but like you, I haven't really read the comic books. Who's the baby mama? Well, that's yeah. You know, I I cannot tell you that um, because I am not reading the comics. But I I will say this that this is also, you know, something that has been kind of they've skirted the issue through the years with most of the superheroes because the idea you know if Superman has can go as like as fast as a speeding bullet mm -hmm. and leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yeah. I if can he, do half if of he that. had yeah, but if he had relations uh -huh. with a mere mortal yeah. That yeah. would seem to be like, you That's know, bad, yeah. Lois would, you know, go, like, the back of her head would be flying like <laughs> through like multiple walls on a high rise somewhere oh, God. when Superman oh, gets, uh, yeah, you know, no, no, super worked up. Yeah. So, and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of fan fiction out there because, you know, because oh, yeah. I, I, you know, and again, I understand we, we're not going to get into this, but like you got to think like during some of these um, big Marvel movies now where you have the female superheroes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to think that Thor's looking at Captain Marvel and saying, hey, can you imagine? Yeah, one for one. You know, yeah. wow, geez, the kid we could have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but oh. that's, uh, yeah, that's the name of that tune. Yeah, okay. All right, well, uh, <laughs> let's all get worked up. Although yeah. it is a nice distraction from the pandemic. I mean, if, if people want to get worked up about something, it almost tells me that there's hope that maybe we are coming to the end of this era in American history, that if we can get all sideways about a comic book character well, <laughs> and his son that we right. didn't even know he had, it's... that maybe we could start to exercise ourselves in other ways. I kind of hope so, but it just seems like everything we find is social media driven. There's no question yeah. about it. it. Used to be, you know, the anger and the vitriol used yeah. to be just driven by talk radio in, in its <laughs> in its greatness back in the 1990s and 2000s. Yeah. Uh, but now it's really it's, it's well, Facebook. Twitter's talk radio yeah. or Facebook, and and you're absolutely right. It it is interesting because going into the holidays, that's when 
we have so many of these false issues. Someone's going to see a Santa Claus in the mall that doesn't look like the Coca-Cola Santa Claus from 1920s and say, I can't believe I took my kids to the mall and Christmas is ruined <laughs> because Santa Claus was Latino. You know that's going to happen. And then there's always, you know, what, Jesus? And I'm, you know, the Jesus didn't look, baby Jesus didn't look like that. And I'm like, you, you, you idiot. Well, Let's, look at the geography right there. Right. You know? Well, you know, again, people's there's no one alive today whose memory wasn't created by mass media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just the truth. So when people imagine what the past was, they know it from movies, and they know it from television, and they know it from other forms of art that were created, and quite honestly, in a sanitary environment so that they could be of mass appeal. So it does not reflect the way things really were in the 1950s. No, they weren't not. that pleasant in the no. 1950s. There were a lot of murders in the 1950s. There were a lot of bad things that were going on. And, you know, we you know we talk about the scourge of all the other social crises that were going on in that period of time. It was political crises, social crises. You know, the, the Cold War was raging. At any minute, you know, there could have been other kinds of mass casualty events. Luckily, we were able to get through that era without that happening. But it was, it was touch and go. And... If you watch television in that era, they never talk about any of those Everything things. Everything was literally whitewashed. Right. You know, was, we talked about that in television. It was not reflecting. No, there this this the I world. know I Love Lucy, they never brought up segregation, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I bring mm. up I Love Lucy for a reason. Mm. Because here was Lucy married to a Cuban guy. Now and that was actually now on television in black and white, you know, there were audiences that other than the accent and everything, they were like, oh, you know, oh, an international, you know, that's sort of a thing, right? It's continental, that one. <laughs> right, right. Eventually, you know, that that thing, that sort of took off in a different direction after yeah. 1959, right? Yeah. When you yeah, look at the true. geopolitical reality of Cuba. So there is, there is just a, a made-up false sense of how completely clean and good America and the world were when we were children, because we weren't really exposed to what was going on other than what we were seeing on television. And that was already sanitized for us. And now, now that everybody has a voice, they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe there's a fire. Yeah, exactly. And that you know, brings us around to, we've talked about all in the family and what a revolutionary show that was when it came out in the early seventies. But if you go back and look at the lyrics to that theme song, they sing at the beginning, those were the days it's Archie Bunker longing for a time of what he thought was the good old days because he was a white male. And that, in the 1970s, was pretty radical for a television show to kind of rip the lid off that. Right. I'm just longing for a day where we truly can live up to that creed of, of everybody has an opportunity. And the people who choose to take advantage of the opportunity, good for them. Those who choose not to or those who don't have the ability to that you know there's some other way that we can all live together and get along and support each other that's that's all i'm looking for i'm not looking for this guy's black this guy's white this guy's hispanic or you know the the crisis at the fill in the blank for your noun it's just it's it we we've spent so much time now trying to find ways that divide us we have forgotten how to find ways to bring us together to your point, including the holidays, which really kind of sucks. But we're heading into the holidays, and we're going to try to get people through that, the listeners of this podcast specifically through that, because those go. are the only people that actually can get through this right now. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you this. First, got to talk about Portillo's, and then on the other side yep. of me 
frothing at the mouth or is it salivating about Portillo's? We're going to talk about three things you should watch and one thing you should avoid. Let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. Well, you know, when it started in Chicago, people were like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We got, we got Italian beef? Wait. We got Italian sausage? Wait. You got chocolate cake? <laughs> Oh man, it's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have, and I, I think I just said this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new, in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not gonna hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillo's.com. Find a store near you or order online, and you can get it anywhere in the United States of America, Portillo's.com. Thursday 3 and What Not to Watch. We always start with What Not to Watch. What Not Should We Watch? This kind of uh, speaks to what we were just talking about, Ro. Unfortunately, I have to say, don't watch The Subject. That's the name of the movie, The Subject. Uh, Jason Biggs, who's actually a terrific actor. People always think about the American Pie movies. He's done a ton of stuff on Broadway. He can really do good stuff. He's really good here, but unfortunately, the story's very, very heavy-handed. So he plays a liberal white documentary filmmaker who is putting together a documentary about black teens and specifically one who's being recruited to be in a gang. And he happens to capture on camera the beating death of a black teenager. He keeps it in the documentary and he becomes a sensation at all the film festivals and famous and rich because everyone's like, wow, what a heroic uh, piece of filmmaking. Well, you know, in reality, if someone did that, they would be rightfully, uh, you know, excoriated for exhilarated. Yes. So, you know, and it finally makes that point, but in such a heavy handed fashion that it goes off the rails everybody i think behind this had great intentions but to me it was like almost unwatchable when he has his kind of you know comeuppance in the last half hour so the movie's called the subject i've seen some raves about it uh those raves are wrong okay (laughs) that's my opinion (laughs) that's what we pay you for thank you all right on to the thursday three yeah. What shall we watch this weekend? We've got some good news here. Uh, a couple of uh, very high-profile uh, efforts that people have been talking about for a long time, Row Dune. Now, this is the new, long-awaited, epic adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel from back in the 60s, which was this psychedelic epic with all kinds right. of you know double meanings. And then uh, they tried to re- make a movie of it a couple of times, actually. One never even got finished, and it, it never really worked. Um, and the one that did get released, I was completely confused by. I, I, I it, was, it was certainly a very heroic effort uh, from a technical standpoint, but whoo! Yeah, what and there was a of lot crap. of studio battling about that. Nobody, even the people involved in making that film, have said, don't watch that film. Uh, this one, uh, Dennis uh, Villanueva, who did Arrival in Blade Runner 2049. So yeah, you know he excellent. knows how to do these great visuals. 
Timothy Chalamet, who's in every movie now. That's the rule. Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac, also Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya. So a terrific kind of uh, cool cast. And it is set, you know, it's very much the Bible meets Star Wars, even though Dune came out before Star Wars. It's all about this young... Did the Bible come out uh, before Star Wars, too? The Bible is before everything. You don't want to let the don't kids you forget know. it, except for the stuff that came before the Bible. <laughs> And no, dinosaurs and man did not walk the earth at the same <laughs> right. time. But that's a whole other I'm podcast sorry, I didn't for mean, us. I, I Look didn't, at you did now. I don't want to take you down that road. But People are still simmering and, and relaxing and coming down from the whole uh, Jonathan Kent thing. And now you've got him worked <laughs> up about this. So it's all about this young guy who might have some kind of superpowers. And then there, you know, his family is put in charge of a planet where there's native people who are oppressed. And it's got a lot of layers and issues about that. And then supernatural things happening. This is actually... Uh, half of a movie, even though it's longer than two hours, because there's going to be a part two. So it only takes us to about the halfway point of the book. But I think it's beautifully done. And you don't have to have read the novel or know all this stuff. You can just enjoy it mainly, I think, for the visuals and the sound. The plot is pretty corny and hokey, but they usually are in these types of epics. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, because I had such hope for the original Dune, and I couldn't understand the plot. This one, they, they walk you through it a lot yeah, more, good. I think. And the female characters have been greatly elevated, which is really cool, too. All right. The Harder They Fall. Now, this is really badass, row. People have been talking about this. This is a black Western, almost virtually all black cast. And certainly not the first time we've had black Westerns. There were right. silent movies back in the day, and there have been some through the years. But it's been a long time since we've seen this. And this is a just a classic story about a, a guy, Jonathan Majors, who was just in Lovecraft, uh, as a boy, this bad guy murdered his parents in front of his very eyes. Idris Elba playing the bad guy, which is kind of cool. Ooh. And he's done that before as well. And now, you know, 25 years later, Jonathan Majors is playing the guy who finds out that the guy who killed his parents has been sprung mm. from prison Ooh. from a vault by his gang. So then he puts together a posse. And now you got the posse versus the gang. It's very, very cool. The cast is amazing. Regina King. Uh, Zazie Beetz is great. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Delroy Lindo, the legend himself, playing a marshal. Uh, what I like with this row is it's very much like a, a drive-in movie, but you know, with a big budget. Like when Tarantino did Django Unchained, you've right. got uh, they're all speaking in modern dialogue, you know, with a lot of swearing and all that kind of stuff. And then there's you know music from Jay Z, and then cool like Afrobeat music from the '70s, but it looks like a traditional western. And it's violent as hell. All the hats that are getting worn, all the tears are getting shed. All the guns are like literally gold when they're shooting, or a lot of the guns. Really stylish. And this is a Netflix film. It's going to be in theaters this weekend, and then it'll have a run for about a month and then come to Netflix. Sort of like a Spike Lee Tarantino esque. Yes. Kind of With, take on if it. they if they were going to do an homage to Sergio Leone, the spaghetti westerns, and it's, now it's a black western. In fact, I kept thinking like the Leonardo DiCaprio character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would have been in a movie like this, maybe as the one white guy, <laughs> you know, because he had that kind of career with that type of B movies uh, back in the day. All right, it's called The Harder They Fall. It is on Netflix and Four Hours at the Capitol, the HBO documentary about yeah. January sixth. Yeah, this one is, um, you know, sometimes tough to watch. What they did here, Ro, is it just chronicles those four hours at the Capitol. Uh, and the footage is, we've seen a lot of the footage, the smartphone footage used by both, you know, protesters, rioters, 
And we've seen a lot of this uh, smartphone footage. But what I found really remarkable, Ro, is the security camera footage from inside the Capitol is so clear and yeah. precise it's almost surreal, you know, because it almost feels like, are we watching a movie? And then they do interviews with Capitol Police, D.C. Metropolitan Police, including a couple of the officers who nearly lost their lives. And then you hear from some of these proud boys who express no regret, no remorse. And one of them at one point says, that was the day when patriots went up against police. And you just want to say, you fucking asshole. Those police were the patriots. You're the traitors. Fascinating stuff. It doesn't really have a political point of view. It's four hours at the Capitol. It allows you to see it unfolding almost in real time and then hear from a lot of the participants in modern day, six months later, eight months later, giving interviews. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how people look at this 10 years from now. Yeah. I don't think that those people who uh, were really proud to be there right now, six months, eight months later, to two years later... Uh, as they get older, you know, I I was I was totally disappointed, outraged, really, and I don't, you know, I me, mean? I'm not really an outraged guy. It's nauseating. But yeah. by the, uh, you know, by the, the flag that was flown at the insurrection, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance being, you know, spoken to that flag specifically at this political event mm. last week, I, I just, it, it to me, it, it's exactly the opposite of what America is stands for, and really the opposite of what four years prior any of those people who were there would have ever thought yeah, and, America and, was about. And for them to have no... And, and listen, now some of them are expressing remorse because guess what? They got ID'd from footage right. and by their families. There's one moment... And by their social them, media. Yeah, and by their idiotic social media right. postings. And there's a moment in this film in Four Hours at the Capitol where a D.C. officer who was showing up, you know, when they started calling in the Metropolitan Police like two hours into this for backup. And he says, as I'm walking, you know, going through this, he's getting yelled at. You're a traitor. You took an oath. And he, they show him he's a, he's an army veteran. He goes, I literally spilled blood in Afghanistan for my country. How effing dare you question my patriotism? Four hours at the Capitol. That is on HBO. That does it for this edition of Screen Time with Rowan Roper, brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Executive producers for Screen Time with Rowan Roper, Renee Nelson and Tim Melanius. Our amazing editor and production director, Demita Menezes. See you next time. <laughs>